Hi, I'm Chad Emerson, and this is the Downtown Explorer Podcast, the virtual third place where we gather for interesting conversations with downtown innovators and entrepreneurs. Hi, everyone. We are back for episode six of the Downtown Huntsville Explorer Podcast here at the worldwide headquarters of Downtown Huntsville, Inc. <laughs> and our guest this week is Stephanie Kennedy Mel. Stephanie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, we met real early on, you and your husband, Matt, and I, at the very first um, Big Spring Crush, right around there. Yes. I think y'all had just moved here, mm-hmm. and you had decided to open a wine shop, or had, but your background's in fashion. So how do you get from fashion, living in the Northeast, to opening a wine shop in Huntsville, Alabama? Tell us about that fashion background. Okay. So I do have a fashion background. I uh, worked in the fashion industry for almost 20 years. Um, however, work had taken me from New York City to Los Angeles. And so we were living in Southern California for about three years um, and loved wine, developed a passion for wine, was going to wine country pretty often. And living in um, in California, there's a wine bar in every corner. Um, so my husband grew up in Scottsboro. Uh, he did second to 10th grade in Scottsboro. Um, Mr. Scottsboro, you know, or is it uh, junior high, I think is his, his title. So you married a big deal in Scottsboro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh yes. This picture I think is still in the middle school, um, somewhere. It's pretty hysterical, but, um, his parents actually retired in the house that he grew up in okay. and we would come visit them here in Alabama. So during our stay in, in California, um, it kind of ran its course. Um, and we wanted to be a little closer to family. And I thought instead of moving back to New York, where they were having 10 feet of snow instead of inches of snow by then, um, I asked him, what do you think about moving to Alabama? And he said, you'd move to Alabama? And I said, I think it's time to slow down. Hmm. (laughs) You only thought, though, (laughs) you would be slowing down in Alabama, because I know you now, and you all move at the speed of light. Yes. So uh, moved here, kind of just fell in love with Huntsville. And thought, okay, now we're here, now what? Um, With a fashion background, I could have worked retail, but I didn't want to work so many hours and holidays. (laughs) So this is all kind of a segue to, you know, what I thought was going to happen moving here versus what actually occurred by moving here. But um, one of the first things we noticed really quickly was there was no place um, for grownups to just go grab a glass of wine, sit down and unpack their day, um, which was very apparent on the West Coast. It's very, you know, um, everywhere in California. So um, right away, we looked at each other and said, we should open a wine bar. And, and there uh, you are. And there you are. So, um, and that's obviously we're going to talk about not just the wine bar, because that thing quickly evolved into a, a series of restaurants. But before we get to talking about each of the different concepts, is there anything from your fashion experience that you now use in your restaurateur experience? Uh, I would say absolutely, because um, I run the business end of the business, and I take a lot of the business acumen, uh, best practices, um, having worked in corporate America, and that's stuff that I implement almost every day in my world here. So not from maybe a food perspective or wine perspective, but definitely from a business perspective, yes. And so when you go into a church street family establishment, it seems very highly curated. You know, the, mm-hmm. the food's important, but it's just the atmosphere. I mean, how much of the ability to design an atmosphere is like designing an attractive piece of fashion or being involved in that side of thing? Right. So I do have a, a design degree from the Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan. So I'm an art student at heart, um, which is why we support and um, love 
local artists and support local artists. And there's always art everywhere you go in our businesses. Um, but I do design each of the businesses' interior as well. Um, I designed Purveyor with Beverly Barrington um, in conjunction. It was such a large project. It was not something I could do on my own. Um, but I do have a vision, and I think it always starts with, um, if you think about fashion, it's, all right, what's the design concept of this line, and where is that direction going to go, and what are the colors of the season, and what are the fabrics of the season? So if you take that kind of mentality to say, what is the um, what is this business where is it headed? What are we going to serve? What should the vibe be? Every single one of our businesses has a distinct starting point of a vibe and then kind of builds off of that. So that's that's going to be a good segue. We're going to go through each of the establishments okay. and kind of talk about the inspiration. But before we do, what's your process? You say, okay, with the wine shop, it was like, well, there's no place to have a glass of wine and unpack your day. But what is your creative process when you're like, is it just okay, this space is available, let's figure it out, or I've always wanted to open blank, how do I make that work? What is the what is the starting point to design a restaurant concept? So for the wine shop, um, I really took in all of my experiences in wine tasting houses throughout um, Northern California. Uh, and they are eclectic. They go from these um, marble floors and bars and million dollar bars to literally looks like someone took a house and turned it into uh, a wine shop and they poured concrete with broken bottles and made these beautiful countertops. I mean, it just runs the gamut. So um, I think that was a great first step for us. So we go into this space and um, the number one thing Matt and I said to each other was we want people to feel like they're walking into our home when they walk into our business hmm. and walking into the wine shop at 501 Church Street with the staircase um, coming down. I thought, oh, my gosh, this feels very home like it has the staircase that um, uh, has the um, warmth from color. It has the neighborhood in an established space. It had its own parking lot. Um, there was a lot about the space that we really liked. And then it was like, OK, what do we need to be a tasting house? I need a bar. I love round tables. I think round tables have a like, very strong sense of community um, and relaxing and gathering. Um, so we knew we wanted to do that. Um, and then, of course, wine on the walls everywhere. Yeah. So let's walk through each of the concepts and, and let's pretend okay. like the listener has never been in it before. Okay. Okay. And, and, and see how you describe it. So the, the original, the one that started it all, Church Street Wine Shop on Church mm -hmm. Street, how would you describe that to someone who's never been there? So I would definitely t uh, describe it as a Northern California wine tasting room. Um, so when you go into a wine tasting room, depends on the wine you're tasting is how kind of their vibe goes. And ours is definitely um, um, a come as you are kind of a, um, I'm walking into someone's home vibe and we're in downtown Huntsville, Alabama. So it has a little country feel to it. Um, I liked the reutilization of the space that it had been an art gallery prior to us. And so there is, um, lighting fixtures in there that are, are very, um, art gallery like I knew I was going to hang art on the walls. And so it worked. Um, but I put a pretty formal bar in there, you know, so I actually had a cabinet maker come in and build a bar as opposed to a bar maker and I made it look a little more homey so that is literally a kitchen cabinet maker that came in and um, the bar itself has a real uh, sitting at a counter vibe um, from the height from the fact that there's two levels um, the finishes and then um, chalkboards right so that seems very um, wine like I'm kind of walking into this space um, and the chalkboards tell you where to go the bottles on the wall were a little more um, for space than anything else. Uh, but I love how the use of that is. And I'll, and I'll tell you those 
walls came from the basement uh, of someone's house in Tennessee that I found on a Craigslist posting years ago. And she had tons of racks. And Matt and I went, got a truck, went down there. And I carried every one of those out of this woman's uh, basement. She had um, a lot of wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a lot of racks in There's there. There's a lot of racks in there. Um, and the food port part of the wine bar, um, that was an evolution that came a little later. Yes. Yeah, so um, if someone was going to go into there right now today mm-hmm. and say, I want your fanciest bottle of wine, what's the fanciest bottle oh, the fanciest. that's legally inside the wine shop? Um, we probably have, I would say, uh, in the $200 range. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit, think your um, Quintessa. I probably have a Quintessa in there. It's probably one of the most expensive. Of course, it came as Silver Oak, um, Velvet Glove. They're all in like the $195 ish. Um, but our fanciest bottles live at Purveyor. Okay. So you have some really nice high end special occasion wines at Church Street, even mm-hmm. though it's a casual more laid-back place, and you also have some entry-level wines, right? Absolutely. So it's a great learning space as well. It was supposed to be always a non-intimidating, I don't know anything about wine, I'm going to sit in here, have a drink, and not feel intimidated. And I think that space does a good job at that. And when you're not there, you let Matt, your husband, turn on football games, right? Uh, Yes. Okay. That's that's only when you're not there. All right. So um, after Church Street... You all swerved in a big way. What was next, Purveyor or Poorhouse? Purveyor. Purveyor. So um, Purveyor at the Avenue Mm -hmm. started in a different place at the Avenue as a different concept and now is a really cool fine dining. Tell us about the origin story of Purveyor. All right. So... um, the Seelys, who own that building, you know, loved Church Street Wine Shop, and they really wanted something um, similar. And they're like, you should open a wine shop. You should do a wine bar. And we thought, you know what, we're going to take it one step up, and we're going to open a bourbon bar. And the original concept was um, very similar, that it would be just like Church Street, but for bourbon. So mm. we knew we really liked bourbon and wanted to get into bourbon. Uh, so the original space was a couple of doors down. And we'd have two entry doors because one was going to be um, a retail bottle shop, but then we were going to have a, um, a bourbon bar. Now, there was going to be a fireplace with a, a, a roll-up door, and the seating was going to be bourbon barrels. Um, and there was this whole amazing concept of, of kind of feeling like you're in a bourbon bar. Um, but because Church Street evolved so quickly into food and the need for food and what people were telling us um, was that they wanted food, we started really thinking about the space and how could it grow. And we would outgrow the space pretty quickly. And would we put a kitchen in there and how would that look? Um, And the Sealies were like, I just talking to you, no, you're going to want more patio space. And where you are now, you're not going to have a lot of patio space. Because it was in like in the middle of the block, right? Yeah, it's right where Zoom is now. Okay, Zoom cycle. um, so they said, let's, let's talk, let me show you this space. And it's, um, a lot of credit to the Sealies to have the, um, the vision of what a business is talking about and them knowing their space enough to say, Hey, I've been doing this a long time. Let's talk about this space, identifying maybe the need before we did, because we had just had, I think we were open at church street less than a year. Wow. I think it was like maybe just a year or so. Um, of course, it took a very long time for Purveyor to open. We were open quite longer by the time these conversations were happening. Um, and so their foresight was definitely to our benefit. We took this additional, this other space that was a little bit bigger, but had a lot more patio space, and we really developed it into a casual fine dining. Okay. So same exercise um, if someone was coming from out of town, never been there before. How would you describe Purveyor? 
so they could have a picture in their mind's eye. So the design concept behind Purveyor is um, industrial, classic industrial. Okay. So I wanted to feel classic, so it would feel formal, but industrial, which is a little more informal. Um, so one of the things about that is the fact that Matt and I um, are pretty informal people. And anyone who's met us are always kind of surprised, like, oh, you're, you know, so low key. Yeah, we're very informal people, but we really like good food and we want good service. We mm. want to have a fine dining service and food without having to put on a suit and tie or necessarily dressing up. But if we feel like putting on and dressing up, we want to go to that same establishment and have a great time yeah. and, and feel comfortable. And that's pretty much what Purveyor is. So classic industrial, um, leaving the columns completely... Um, uncovered so that you can see the concrete but yet there's a trim on just a portion of it to make it feel pretty fancy um the booths are all velvet um tufted booths uh but they're very they're kind of modernly shaped um, and square um so it has the exposed ceiling but the front of the bar is kind of classic and has that uh beautiful wood top and then we went local so the top of the bar was actually made from one tree a single tree and we have a picture next to the bar of the man standing on a truck next to this tree um, that that one piece of wood was made out of and it was made locally all of our tables are made from um, one tree as well and then stamps but you know okay so how do you do formal and casual at the same time I think a lot of people think oh it must be a tablecloth right you must oh you must be white linen we're not so how do you get away with having such a formal space without tablecloths um, and that was a challenge and so using these local trees that were beautiful so when you stained them um, so we burned our logo into them and yeah. it made it like oh of course you don't have tablecloths this is what you did but the booths are so formal it the balance of it i think works really well so what started as the bourbon bar cousin to church street actually evolved into an award-winning fine dining restaurant yes uh, with a great patio um a little side note though there was a concept, uh, probably your shortest lived concept in the history <laughs> of your concepts, Sonoma Shop. Because yes. originally you had a little wine shop in front. Tell us what happened there. So um, we did have a little wine shop in the front um, selling bottles of wine and cheese and um, to go. We had like grab and go sandwiches and it was actually pretty popular. It was really good. And um, we were doing cheese tastings and wine tastings, but we found out very quickly that um, the restaurant was so popular that the the seating kind of um, outgrew the need for the retail. So um, Sonoma didn't die for lack of a concept. You just right. had a better, higher use for it. And I didn't have as much wine in there as I had at the Church Street Wine Shop. So people were like, I'll go to Church Street Wine Shop and buy wine. It's not that far. It is essentially a walk from the avenue as well. And we thought, okay, we need um, a couple of things. Again, listening to our customer base. The bar um, originally had concrete floors, was a little loud. And I thought, I need a private room space. I was being asked all the time. So we took out the retail area. Um, which, based on my sales plan, needed to make about $500 a day for it to um, be a profitable, tiny, tiny shop, right? (laughs) I put tables in there, and I'm making like $500 an hour. I mean, from a math perspective, you know, I always say business should never be ego-driven. It's business. Look at the numbers. Look at the math problem. Solve the problems. Listen to the people. Give them kind of what they want. So that room turned into this really beautiful um, velvet curtained clothed room with a carpet and cushy chairs and suddenly you couldn't get into that room everybody requested it it is at the front and people Mm -hmm. like a lot of times to have that sidewalk view walking by so 
So the dearly departed Sonoma wasn't for a failure. It was just to hire a better use, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, let's talk about your only concept right now that isn't within walking distance of each other pretty much <laughs> is Poorhouse. Yes. So Poorhouse, tell us about this quirky little upstairs, downstairs, micro bar type thing in the middle of Stove House. All right, so Huntsville's very first rooftop bar. Truly rooftop bar because there is nothing above us at all. We are on the legitimate roof of this particular building, which is a, a square brick building in the middle of the food garden um, over there at Stove House. And um, how fun is that? On top of that, I wanted it to have um, the kind of a feel that, um, you know, I had a square box, so what was I going to put in a square box? If you know me, you know it's going to be a round peg. And so I built a round bar. And um, I liked the idea that everybody at the bar could see each other at any time, um, kind of because that box was sitting in a food garden of this large space. I thought, I'm going to put the most community-driven um, bar in the middle of a box, in the middle of a garden, in the middle of a space. Hmm. Um, I will say the bar, once they kind of started the circle, you don't, and you can't stop, again, another math problem. And so it should have been a little bit smaller. It does take up quite a bit of space in that bar. Um, but the whole idea of kind of sitting at a round bar, um, I thought was really neat. And when you're in there, it's, again, one of those places that you feel like um, – you don't feel like you're in, in Huntsville necessarily. You feel like you should be at the beach. You should yeah. be, I don't know, just somewhere like more open spacey. And um, and it's kind of fun because you're in there and the music's playing and they've got big screen TV with this um, mesh metal curtain on the wall kind of a vibe. And then these um, square, um, what is that? It's uh, style chairs, modern mid-century chairs okay. um you know it's got a very eclectic vibe to it and it seems like it might be the one that's most it's not that it's plug and play but it's most replicatable mm -hmm. if that's even a word um because it a box that fits in a lot of interesting places i imagine there are people who would love to have a poor house in their community yes. right what's the most popular drink there definitely beer Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's because of the name, although um, I kind of found out quickly that Poor House is an instant uh, recognition with beer, um, because I think some of the first things people said is, wow, it's a Poor House and it only has um, six beers on tap. And I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so a little um, ignorance on my part. So Poor House, because it was Stove House, and I thought, well, well if I'm in Stove House and I'm pouring everything, all alcohol for the campus... It was a we pour anything concept. Okay. Um, and so hence the name. So we we do sell beer by the can um, and on tap probably the most, most, most. Okay. So then you jump from Poor House, which is totally above ground, vertical, open to the sky, to an underground speakeasy somewhere in the heart of downtown Huntsville. That's right. We won't talk about where. All right. That's the whole point <laughs> of a speakeasy. But why did you decide that a speakeasy was the next addition to the Church Street family. All right. So whereas I always, I'll talk a lot about how each of our concepts um, are developed through conversations of, of needs, right? Um, this one is more, was more of a, a, a selfish endeavor, which is kind of a fun thing. So we had a storage unit, Matt and I had a storage unit in downtown somewhere. <laughs> and, um, uh, we wanted to just have a little bar where we would just bring a cooler of some drinks and some ice and have a place to just kind of hang out when there were concerts, uh, not concerts, um, parades. Yeah. And, um, 
And we did. And we would just kind of go down there and be quiet and not sit in one of our bars or go to our restaurant and a place where we could just kind of hang out, have, have a few friends and just, you know, relax. So um, I built a little lounge place of just kind of a comfort space. It was really like a comfort space. And um, <laughs> it just grew. It, the owner of the building loved it. Our friends were like, this should really be a thing. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. This is just a place where we come to hide. I mean, I'd go down there and read a book. You know, it was just our, our little space. I had curtains, I had rugs, I had chairs. And I just had this little space in downtown that I just kind of, we would just have as a nook. Um, but the more people that would come down, the more people were really like, no, this should really be a thing. So it took a long time, a lot of work, a lot of, um, uh, can we do this? Is it feasible? How do I get fresh air down here? How do we, um, uh, is there an exit? I mean, there is a lot to be said about trying to put a... Um, a speakeasy. A speakeasy. <laughs> I was going to say, you're about to, you're, you're, stop, I, you're about to give it away where it is. Well, so yeah, speakeasies are complicated, yes. especially in old buildings underground. Yes. Okay. Um, like Poorhouse, it currently doesn't have food, so it's very drink-driven, alcohol mm -hmm. or beverage-driven, but it has a twist. Tell us about how you can kind of like do a sushi drink in terms of make your own. So first, let's talk about, you know, the design concept, right? Because okay. we always start with, uh, okay, speakeasy pro pro prohibition. So um, I had an idea of, of where I was going from a visual, and um, taking that to the next level was, what is this, what's the space supposed to look like? What's the vibe coming in? And it was unearthed. So I knew when I put that on a board, unearth. What does that mean? I want it to feel like I took a hammer, um, broke through a wall, and this was sitting here. It's been sitting here since prohibition and um and how do you how do you get there right how does that happen well i'm already in an old building um so i didn't have to do too much a lot of cleaning a little bit of paint to get the colors that i wanted um, um i put in a bar but this was more of a, a classic very easy pop up kind of a you know not too not too ornate kind of a bar um add some warm lights and gold background and Beautiful, beautiful lights. I will tell anyone starting a business that has to do with lights. No more matter what you're doing, where you're, you're going, it's all about lighting. Um, and then the twist, right? So first of all, um, you need a password. It's reservation only. It's a two-hour max. So these are three things that didn't exist in downtown or in Huntsville at all. Um, we do have a wall that's wallpapered with dictionary paper. And there's three words circled on there. And if you whisper those three words to your bartender, he may make you a cocktail. Uh, you don't get to choose the cocktail, but you're going to get a cocktail that's made from scratch. Um, we do not have menus. And um, so essentially, it, like you said, almost like a sushi menu, you choose one spirit and two flavor profiles, and all drinks are made to your palate. Of course, there's pros and cons, because you probably will never get that drink again, because they just made it up on the fly. Um, but you do get to taste an, probably one of the most unique drinks you're going to ever taste. Um, everything that goes into your drink is made on site. And when I say everything, uh, obviously, we're getting the, the liquor in from... Um, distributors however the syrups i was are, say do you have a still down like, there wait, that's I pretty cool i was still. like i didn't realize this is a <laughs> real speak easy <laughs> it's not a still down there but your syrups are made literally on site in crock pots and your um fruit that's dehydrated is dehydrated on site and we have tiny little tabletop greenhouses growing you know rosemary um and uh all the juices fresh and squeezed that is as well. 
catacomb. And if you want to figure out how to go to the speakeasy, how can people begin to figure that out? I mean, go to purveyor and ask, or what, what's the... Um, you can go to any one of the Church Street family businesses, and they will help you along. Um, but making reservations, you'll go to tableagent.com. Okay. All right. That sounds... A lot of fun. So uh, we have just a few minutes left. Let's go through the last two concepts you currently are operating. Yes. Um, sea Salt uh, is kind of in soft opening. Mm-hmm. It'll be open by the time we post this. I'm sure it'll be open. And I've been down there with you and Matt and others at soft openings, and it looks like a big hit. What is an urban oyster bar? All right. So I would call urban uh, Sea Salt the urban oyster bar true uh, advertising because we are in an urban city. So I want no mistake. They're like, where's the water? Don't. It's an urban oyster bar. Don't look for the water. It's nowhere nearby. But we get our oysters in daily. Um, they are from sustainably farmed uh, oyster farms, East Coast, West Coast, Gulf Coast. Um, Big Spring and, Pond? Yeah, definitely not okay. Big Spring Pond. <laughs> I thought you that's, that's, a, that's a false story that those... That's it. Yeah. Like the alligators Koi, in the sewers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so, so these are real oysters from the West Coast and East Coast and Florida Coast. Yes. Um, but we also have lobster. We have shrimp. We will have crab. We'll have non-seafood items as well. And this is another space that when you're in it, um, you know, we have gotten really good at making you um, feel like you're somewhere else. Uh, so I get a lot of the times at Purveyor, oh, I feel like I'm in Chicago. I feel like I'm in D.C., um, New York City, um, Church Street on Gates, which we'll get to. You know, I get a lot of New Orleans and Charleston. Um, obviously, you go down to Catacomb and you totally forgot where you were because that's just really like taking a step back it's such an experience um and then if you think about sea salt and you're sitting at the bar and the roll-up door is up and there's fans going and it smells like seafood and uh deadliest catch is on the tv and suddenly you're like am i at the beach you know and i had someone say oh my gosh it's warm in here i said of course it's warm you're at the beach and they go (laughs) oh yeah you're right and i was like oh gosh i hope that works All right, so Sea Salt, that will be open by the time we post this. Um, I know one of your establishments is in a transition, and mm-hmm. you can talk about however much you want to talk about the transition. Church Street on Gates, um, whatever it evolves into, it's a really fantastic space that you're leasing directly from the city. Tell us about the Humphrey Rogers House. So this house, built in the 1800s, 1848, uh, was put on a truck and moved from the Coca-Cola site across from the BBC in 91 and driven to the space that it is now on the corner of um, Fountain Circle and Gates. Beautiful two-story home. Um, We have kept the history uh, very much intact. However, um, I've done my best to make this space, A, not feel like you're going to grandma's house, and B, um, not a museum, right? So how do you take this historic home, keep the integrity thereof, and still make it attractable for both 26-year-olds and 86-year-olds? And so that was my design um, goal in this space. And so we do have antiques in there, but they are strategically placed. The paint colors themselves are beautiful and bright or dark. Um, they're each telling a story in each of the rooms. Um, so it, it doesn't feel, you know, you're in an 1800s house, but you definitely are like, I'm in a hip 1800s house. And it's, and it's currently, uh, or at least time we're taping this called church street at gate. So Mm -hmm. if, if, if it hasn't evolved at that point, but it's right there at Gates and Fountain Circle, mm. right? Yes. Okay. So um, one of the interesting things is not every concept 
ends up working out. Sometimes like Sonoma shop for other reasons. Uh, Mazeras was there originally mm-hmm. at uh, Stove House, right? basically next to Poorhouse. Um, and so, but some of these concepts could come back in the future. You take ideas from those and bring yep. them back in the future. But the uh, cool thing about what you all do is that you're not um, afraid to change right. a concept if you think there's a better idea. Corner Poor is where sea salt is now. And you just kind of realized that would work better, right? I think that for any entrepreneurs that are listening, um, failure is growth. And um, I almost hate the word failure, but it works um, because it wasn't a failure because you learned from it and you got better. I mean, sea salt's just been phenomenal. Um, Don't be afraid. Don't let ego play a role. Um, Listen. um, And I would say pivot, um, but, but, or course correct. I'll say course correct, but course correct quickly. Don't live in this world. You can tell. I mean, I can tell quickly in a space. I'm like, oof, you know, if I had done X, Y, and Z. So start um, running your business with a growth plan towards what you know it needs to be. Do not let the grape die on the vine. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So, um, man, what a great conversation. And we're going to wrap it up like we do with every guest. A little segment called Our Favorite Five. This is that people can get to know Stephanie Kennedy email oh, better. Dear. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're designed to be answered with one word answers. You can okay. you can explain if you'd like. But um, your favorite five. Uh, number one, a Gucci bag or a coach bag? Ooh, uh, Gucci. Okay. Uh, number two, red wine or white wine? Oh, white wine. Okay. Oh, that, you sound like that's not even. I there. don't think there's a person in town doesn't know that who knows me. I okay. love my white wine. Number two, a uh, beach trip to the Jersey Shore or the Florida coast? Oh, that's not fair. Um, Jersey means family and Florida coast means vacation. So that's a toss up. Okay. I mean, you can answer how you want. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. No, I have to say Jersey. <laughs> Wine trip or foodie trip out west? Wine trip. And mm-hmm. last but not least, uh, there is a correct answer for you on this. Giants or Jets? Oh, Giants. What? Go Big Blue. <laughs> All right. There you have it. There's Stephanie Mel. to walk back in the house. I was going to say, you would be sleeping somewhere else and then with Matt tonight yes. because uh, Matt, is, her husband, is one of the biggest Giant fans you'll know. So I guess the, that's that's loyalty right there. So anyways, uh, Stephanie, thank you. Absolutely. Hopefully people uh, will come and visit these great establishments and uh, we will talk to everyone next time on the Downtown Explorer Podcast. Awesome. Thanks.